and welcome to the Earthborn Games Podcast. I'm your host, Andres Carlson. We're back. It's been like four solid weeks since we've had a real Earthborn podcast, and even longer since we've seen Evan. Welcome back, Evan. Yeah. Round of applause. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> Great to, to see you. Father. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to think that I don't look too... Um, I don't know, bedraggled from lack of sleep and stuff. Yeah. But I've seen my face so much I can't tell anymore. So <laughs> you've seen you've seen your own face so much? Yeah. Well just you know in the in the mirror or in the webcam here. So you, right. you, you know, you just you have that you have the, your own kind of you see your face in the mirror and then you see a picture of yourself and it's way different uh-huh. and it's like what what happened? <laughs> Why is it so I don't know. It's right and I've it's been like flipped a, horizontally. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what it is. And I guess for you, it's more of a gradual transition from non-father to father, bedraggled father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just, I just get accustomed to it slowly. So. <laughs> well, I just want to say you look better than ever. Oh, thanks. How is it going as a father? I haven't talked to you. It's going while. good. There's, yeah, it's it's um it's pretty wild. I mean, total life changer, and we've had. Plenty of people coming by to visit and a lot of late nights and weird sleeping schedules. And uh, she's feeding like every two to four hours. So it's just kind of like a, a nonstop thing. It's it's way harder for Megan than it is for me because I don't have to get up as much in the middle of the night. Um, Absolutely true. As she does. So, yeah. What was the last but, thing that, that made you go up? just fall in love with your baby was the last thing she did. Actually, uh, we were, when we were having dinner just now, um, when I was watching her while Megan was making dinner and she's just starting to smile now. So, and I, I, it, it's gone from, I think she's just practicing facial expressions to actually recognizing smiles or facial expressions in me or in Megan and then reflecting them back. So at least I think Mm -hmm. it seems like she's now, actively smiling rather than just like farting or something, <laughs> you know, making like a weird, well, yeah. a weird expression. She's because, also still yeah. doing that. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think just seeing that, um, while I was just watching the Simpsons with her laying on my chest, mm. you know, while waiting, uh, for dinner, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. So everyone should have a child. Yeah. That's what I say. Just one. Um, it's good to have you back, Evan. Uh, we're going to do something a little different with you tonight. Is it because you're you're swamped with work? What what are you going to be doing? Well, I just have a good, I guess I have a good flow going and I've been really able to unexpectedly, even with, with the child, um, crank out illustrations weekly. So I would just like to keep that pace and it just seems like it'd be something fun to try for the listener or the the people who watch the podcast rather than listen. Yeah, what he's referring to is we're going to have Evan drawing and we're going to be watching his process throughout the whole show tonight. And he may not be chiming in as much, but we'll be watching. So if you're not on YouTube watching this, flip over there if you can. If not, it'll still be very entertaining. We're not going to probably comment on what he's doing too much, but if we do, we'll try to explain what's going on. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to Start that right away. Sure, I can. Yeah, share your screen. I'm kind of halfway. I'm halfway through something, so 
Um, Let's introduce the other guys first. Andrew Fisher is back from Tanzania. Good to have you back, yep. Fisher. Thank you. Yeah, it's 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 good to be back. Uh, it was an awesome trip, but like the traveling was pretty exhausting. So I'm kind of just glad to be back in the flow of things now. Mm. Are we going to get into that later during stuff we've done? Oh yeah, no. I mean, like okay. that was kind of my signature thing is is, is previewing. So uh, <laughs> more is. De- details of my Tanzania trip later, everybody. <laughs> oh, stay! Don't turn that dial. Um, <laughs> whatever that means, the Gen Zers are wondering. Um, all right, Andrew Navarro is here as well. Good to have you I back. I am here as well. Thank you. <laughs> Tried and true. Good to be back. Guest. Yes. It's, uh, so last last episode, last our last half episode, I promised we'd be back the following mm. week. We did not do that. We were, lied. We were we were, t- we were too busy. Uh, I did, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but you know, this, the, these two weeks between podcasts go so fast. Like, uh, I think it's just it's just fine. It's also, just, partially yeah. partially related to my aforementioned exhausting <laughs> travel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> took a little longer than you hoped to get back. Yeah, (laughs) but I'm still here. I haven't gone anywhere. (laughs) Our listeners and viewers are very kind. I didn't receive any hate emails. I I hope you guys didn't either. Nope. Man, I already, I already want to comment on what Evan's doing. It's pretty sick. (laughs) Actually, I can make a comment. Is there any way you can mute me? Because I, I suppose I can just go back to Chrome here. But I didn't want to mute mute yourself. Interrupt. I'll mute him. Bye. Okay, you can mute me. All right. Bye. <laughs> Man, do you think he can still hear us? Oh, I'm sure he can. <laughs> Not oh. if you can hear us. Now we now we start the blow by blow commentary on his. Uh, Man, what the hell drawing. is he doing? <laughs> Evan just just wrote yes into his art. He can hear us. <laughs> just sending subliminal messages throughout the show. You guys got to yeah, switch well, over to YouTube. Uh, Fisher, do you want to want to say what this card is mechanically? What it, it's a pretty awesome card. Oh yeah, no, actually, this is one of my favorite cards in the game. So I'm kind of excited that he's he's drawing it. So uh, this card is called Reaver Blocket. Um, kind of the idea is it's this um, locket that. Did you actually write, end up writing flavor text for this one? It's a little more complicated, so I don't know if we had room. Uh, I don't think do there's remember? room for for flavor text, but yeah, this thing that like effectively captures your your memories. Uh, and allows you to kind of like relive them in a way. Yeah, it kind of resonates them to you to yeah. to help kind of enhance, you know, those memories that can kind of slip away. And so in um, the game mechanics itself, you can imprint one of your moment cards uh, onto this piece of gear when you play it. And then this piece of gear lets you play that moment card multiple times. Uh, this is actually inspired by... Uh, one of my favorite magic cards of all time uh, called Isochron Scepter that lets you cast spells multiple times. Also slightly infamously broken magic card. <laughs> but <laughs> our game is balanced <laughs> a bit differently than magic. And so we can kind of, and we have the uh, limiting mechanism of the tokens, the limited use tokens on our cards. And so we were able to kind of balance it a little bit better than ho- hopefully than Isochron Scepter was. <laughs> It's a pretty great card, though. I, I I like taking it a lot as a as an outside interest. Oh yeah, it's a great outside interest in. inclusion. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. It it is a mainstay in. I think my two favorite decks are an explorer deck and an artificer deck, and it is a mainstay in my explorer deck. And I think 
Andrew, you got to see a bit of what my Explorer deck can do when we were playing yeah. through the finales. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. It was really good. I, I, I contributed very little in those that last <laughs> play session. Uh, no, so I was really glad you were there. It. Yeah, like I, uh, I absorbed some damage uh, and <laughs> drew some aggro from time to time. But uh, yeah, you were managing yeah. the board. Yeah, yeah, I was doing some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was just, very good. I'm just mesmerized by this this artwork, though. So if I, if you guys, if I just stop talking at some point in the show, just like clap your hands and I'll try to snap out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Back to us yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. It's like close up on. If you're not watching this, it's some gloved hands, and and Evan is uh, doing some some really like expert shading on it and holding this amazing pendant. What is it called again? The reaver block reaver it. Block it. Reaver block it. It's a locket, not a pendant. Super cool. Do you think this is going to take the whole show to, are you going to be working on this one piece? Do you think? He said he might finish and then pick up with another one. Oh, awesome. So we'll see. That's pretty cool. Close. It looks, looks pretty good to me. Oh I mean, my God. Was, was this all Evan? Is this all you? This, all this is, uh, this is, I think, Originally, it was kind of based on Joe, uh, one of Joe's um, concepts, but then Evan built upon it a lot. It, yeah, it's, yeah. it's quite different than than that uh, how it started out. Super cool. And then composition and everything and stuff we talked about, like just on Monday. Wow. Wow. So cool. All yeah. right. Well, we've got a great show ahead. Got some a bunch of listener questions that have piled up over the past month. And we're going to be talking work stories and some cool stuff we're into. But let's kick it off with a question from Gorth via YouTube. And Gorth wrote us saying, I have a curiosity regarding your approach to game balance in the expansion, Legacy of the Ancestors, and in any other potential future expansions. It is my understanding that players can complete the core campaign and then spend unlimited days exploring the map and earning any available side quest rewards before starting the expansion campaign. Is the expansion campaign intended to be balanced around rangers having done this, or is it balanced for rangers who have only played to the end of the core campaign story and then immediately began the expansion story? Is it possible to play for rangers who have not gone through the core campaign story at all? Do you expect a large power differential between these three cohorts? I would be interested to hear your thoughts about tuning the difficulty of expansion campaigns, since it sounds like players may not be on equal footing heading into them, as you can expect them to be when starting the core campaign. Thanks for your wonderful work. Big question. Yeah. yeah. So I, I can, yeah, I, I can talk a, a bit about uh, this topic in general. I think we've covered it a bit before, but. Uh, all kind of in disparate parts so we can kind of talk about it as a complete picture here so uh, first off yes to an extent you can complete the campaign and then continue playing for a time uh, we've talked about potentially limiting people to the number of days that are listed on the campaign tracker but right now you're not necessarily hard capped the after the story ends you can still kind of explore the valley um, some things may have changed due to your actions, but the valley will still hopefully be there. Um, 
so you can spend a bunch of days unlocking new, helping more people and unlocking more rewards. And you will be bringing all of those into the expansion with you. Uh, to kind of the question about is it possible for rangers who haven't played through the core campaign to play in the expansion? Uh, yes and no. So yes, you will be able to buy the expansion and jump right in if you wanted to just jump right into that part of the story. But no, you will not just be starting it with a starting ranger deck. Instead, when you jump into that experience, we are going to be providing you with kind of a story so far recap where we kind of tell you what's happened, what you might have missed, and allow you to make a couple key decisions that may impact your story going forward. We'll also unlock a certain number of cards for you, kind of what we consider the optimal number of unlocked cards for you to go into the expansion with. So you will be starting on a footing that we deem uh, <laughs> optimal and balanced to enjoy the expansion. Um, so kind of to that optimal and balanced, as far as, far as power level of people coming out of the, the first campaign, yes, it can be disparate for some people who have completed more or some people who have like unlocked less content. That being said, I think we talked about in a previous episode how we're kind of handling unlocking cards and uh, progression throughout the campaign. I, our game has a bit less kind of linear progression than you might expect in other RPGs. You're not going to be seeing quite as much, you know, like just straight stat buffs. You know, like you're playing Diablo and, and you get like your like next level of gear and it's just just a objective improvement over the gear you currently have equipped a lot of our progression doesn't really work like that where it's just kind of this strict improvement instead we're kind of focusing on extra utility differences in kind and a uh, just kind of broader applicability of the cards you're unlocking. So they are definitely more useful and your power level does go up, but it's not like quite a linear progression. Additionally, in our expansions, we're going to be trying to kind of create different types of challenges so that as you head into different areas surrounding the valley, you're gonna kind of need to swap in and out cards out of your deck and kind of re-equip. So we're looking to create challenges that require you to change and alter your deck and your approach to the game more than challenges that just require you to have you know your plus one reverb block it and your plus two reverb block it and your plus three reverb block it like you might see in a more linear progression uh so yes there will be power level differentials between different play groups based on how much you've completed uh but i don't think it will be as large as you may be worrying and also, to a certain extent, I'm kind of okay with it. Just like you might grind in an RPG to take on content later and make it a little easier for you. Similarly here, you can grind and unlock everything to make future content easier for you. And that's kind of your choice as to how you approach the content. I would also add, you know, it, we also, we're, I've, 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 I'm fond of saying this because it's true. I know some people don't like to do this type of thing, but you will have all the cards in your possession. Uh, you can do whatever you want with them. <laughs> if you if you go to the campaign, and you're like, I just I just, I I just want to choose these cards, these reward cards. Uh, it doesn't really matter if I actually did them or not. Um, that is totally fine. Uh, 
no one is going to come to your house and stop you. I won't anyway. <laughs> Maybe someone will, but I, I won't. No, no, no one on this podcast will. So um, you can always uh, play play how you want. Use the cards you want. Um, it is it is up to you. But if you do want to play like by strictly by the rules, uh, yeah, like Fisher said, you're not gonna you're not gonna be left wanting. I don't think. Um, and I think it's also like when as you were speaking, Fisher, it made me think of uh, one instance when I was playtesting where uh, I'd gotten a fair number of reward cards. And it, I swapped some in and uh, swapped some other stuff out. And I, I, whatever good was happening with my deck, I, un, I undid it somehow. Uh, so, you know, just having reward cards uh, is good. But you also need to, you know, make your choices uh, and still keep your, um, uh, your deck running smoothly. Um, just slotting stuff in. It's pretty, it's only, you know, there's only 30 cards in your deck. So it, you can, if there's something that's good that's happening in your deck, even with the base game cards, uh, it can be kind of dangerous to disrupt it just by throwing in reward cards from experience. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody, there was a. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna mute myself again. Okay. Sorry. Uh... Okay, everybody, there was a uh, some technical difficulties there. Andrew had to move rooms. We're back. Hopefully, everything goes smoothly now. And our next question comes from Mark via email, and it is, what is the total number of employees slash independent contractors working on the game design slash development, et cetera? How many people are working on this game? Uh, so, yeah, this is an easy one. So there's uh, four staff, uh, the three of us, and then also Corey DeVore, uh, who was on the podcast a couple episodes ago, who's uh, part-time, uh, and then 18 contractors so far, and uh most of those are artists. I want to say it's ten to ten to twelve artists, uh, and then some writers, designers. Um, that's pretty much it. So, pretty small group, I think. I would say, especially for a project as uh, vastly scoped as this one is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for the sheer amount of art, the sheer amount of unique art we're doing, like. That number of artists is pretty low, right? It's extremely low. Yeah, it's about uh, I would say at least a fifth, if not less, than uh, what we do at a at our former employer uh, when we'd have something of this size. Wow! Um, but uh, you know, Evan counts for like thirty artists just by himself, so yeah. <laughs> we're almost that number. If you... Yeah, that's that why he doesn't have to talk art. right now. <laughs> Yeah, extremely prolific. Like it, the amount of work that uh, that we're churning out here uh, in these last mm -hmm. few weeks is pretty phenomenal. That's awesome. Cool. All right, twenty-two people. All right. Next question from Darren. Darren asks, "I really appreciate the effort to cut plastic out of the box. I also generally sleeve all of my cards in my games." Would sleeving Earthborn Rangers be hypocritical or antithetical to its mission? What other recommendations do you have for preserving the game for as long as possible? I feel like we've had a similar question. Do we have a yeah, better answer? Uh, yeah, we've talked about this a little bit before, uh, but uh, it's you know worth reiterating uh, yeah. just in case you, know, you missed an episode or you know, right. weren't listening at that moment when we spoke. <laughs> uh, 
No, I, I don't think it's hypocritical to to sleeve your your Earthborn Rangers, uh, your copy of Earthborn Rangers. Um, I think uh, hopefully at some point in the near future, um, we will have some kind of better, maybe alternate material for sleeves uh, that's not just plastic. Um, but until that day, uh, I think sleeving's you know sleeving's just fine i think something you could do though and something that i intend to do is not purchase new sleeves uh, i have plenty of sleeves that are <laughs> that are being used for games right now that i am not playing and uh if i know gamers i would imagine <laughs> that you're probably like me you probably have a game that's sleeved somewhere that you have sleeved just in case you play it but it's been in that just in case state for a couple of years and um you can just let that go and use those sleeves for 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 rangers instead that's my plan anyway just to use ones i have already so i think that's something you can do also you know storing the game in a you know in a dry place so it doesn't get mildewy over time uh is probably a good way of uh prolonging the life of your game and uh but eventually like all physical objects it will degrade uh, and that's okay <laughs> gives a character use our uh earthborn branded white white gloves every time you handle your game <laughs> that's right that was our solution <laughs> last time <laughs> i love that solution yeah <laughs> sleeve sleeve your hands not your cards sleeve your hands not your cards <laughs> That that that's not a real product. Don't go to our <laughs> website looking for the Earthborn white gloves. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or go back to go over to your parents' basement and find your old baseball cards, Pokemon cards, whatever you have. I'm sure there's plenty of sleeves. Get some of those big, you know, the ones for the real important cards you had to like screw together. Would those fit? Oh, I get get some top loaders. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. All right, our next uh, question comes from Angerine Dream, a repeat questioner. They ask, will the card lists be released before the game hits the shelves so that we can get constructing decks online and sharing them on the Discord like folks do on rings.db slash arkham.db, etc.? <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's up to Andrew. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, that's a that's a really good question. We have uh, we we were contacted during the Kickstarter by someone who was interested in in doing a deck builder for Earthborn Rangers, and I'm all for it. So I feel like. We could either work with someone specifically and give them the images and then, you know, they could they could port those in or we could potentially release them uh, to the community at large so they can start doing it. They're going to get out there eventually. So it's just a question of when we do it. Um, but I think it makes a lot of sense to do. Uh, there's no reason to not do it, to not let people have official assets because uh, you're going to be able to get them um, one way or another. So yeah, it's just a question of how we do it, I suppose. Um, 
sharing on discord could make sense or we could just have it on our website that probably even makes more sense does this mean um, i don't know what do you think what, what would like... be the best way of doing that yeah I, we so it, it or you could just instead of PDFs, like something that not we don't necessarily want to give you something that you know you'll want to turn around and print, but something that right. looks good on a screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, doesn't need to doesn't need to be that uh, high high resolution. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure the best way of going about that. What do you think, Fisher? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure either. I guess this is something we've been so focused on just getting the game ready for print. Yes, we haven't focused a lot on kind of exactly what our full launch looks like and um, what some of our online and, and digital tools look like. It is some, a priority we have, especially for like teaching uh, and on, on your side, learning the game. Uh, we do have some priorities for designing some tools to help with that, creating some content to help with that online. But we haven't really thought this through yet. So it's something we'll, we'll have to consider. So we will get back to you on exactly <laughs> how and when we will kind of share that so that you all can start constructing decks, but uh, I will put it on our list. <laughs> yeah, it might it might just make sense, you know, since we're planning on having uh, you know doing something with Tabletop Simulator, uh, just having the images there, you know, that people will will be able to just extract. Yeah, I can then harvest. Yeah, that might yeah. be a, a good an easy way of doing it too. But yes, we will <laughs> we'll figure that out. <laughs> cool. All right, next question from Artemis via Discord. How much of the encounter deck can we expect to see at once? Is there a percentage the team feels comfortable leaving unseen? How often should characters slash encounters stay hidden to make each play different? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a good question. That is a good question. I don't understand Well, it. and so... <laughs> well, so uh, when you play, you create this path deck that represents all the things you can encounter. And that's a combination of some terrain cards that are kind of repeated whenever you're in, the, you're in that type of terrain, and then some unique cards for the unique location that you're in. And so then this deck, you draw a few cards from it, and they come into play. And these are the cards you're kind of encountering right now. But the rest of that deck is hidden to you. And if you leave the location before you've drawn all of that deck, and ideally, most of the time, you're going to leave the location before you draw all of that deck, you will not see it all. Um, so based on the types of cards, you'll have a higher chance of seeing them. Most of our terrain cards, you'll see every terrain card before the end of the game. There's only 12 terrain cards in each set. And so, and you're going to traverse most types of terrain many times. So you'll kind of get used to these sets and see them and, and kind of understand the frequency of seeing different things. So you kind of know what to expect and know how to prepare yourself for entering that type of terrain. But the cards you might not see as much are those unique cards. Uh, we used to, in development, we used to refer them as the landmarks, uh, but they're just the sets unique to those locations. Because there's, you know, often only, you know, unique copies of these cards for these given locations and they're shuffled into a deck, you may or may not ever see them. And so one thing I was trying to process and how to answer this is Artemis mentions, like, uh, how much can we expect to see at once? And so I was trying to kind of figure out what at once kind of means in this situation. We definitely don't usually want the whole deck on the play field all at once, if that's what we're talking about at once. That's a pretty <laughs> overwhelming experience. Uh -huh. It can happen on occasion. 
if you get really overwhelmed and stuck in an area. And in four-player games, you do see more cards at once because each player is drawing a card. And so you see more of the of an area and you do more in one round than like in a solo game, you're going to play a lot more rounds at a given location uh, just because there's you, you have fewer actions. Four people have four times the actions that a solo player does. But if we're, we're looking at what you see at once to mean more how much are you going to see in one playthrough of the campaign? I think mm. we're okay with a certain number of cards remaining unseen. We're trying to make a really big world and make you feel like you're exploring this unknown valley to a degree. And some of that feeling of exploration and size requires you to not see and be tired of everything and feel like you're exploring and finding things even on you know session <laughs> 25 of the game that you're still discovering things and that requires you to not see everything so ideally we do want some percentage unseen at least of our landmark cards even in a whole playthrough so i, I didn't answer the question incredibly specifically um there's a certain amount of variance depending on the part of the valley, some areas of the valley, we expect you to see everything. And in fact, missions require you to find everything. And then some areas are dangerous enough that you're not going to spend much time there. And we actually expect you to maybe never even find it. There's a couple hidden treasures hidden throughout the valley that I think only certain dedicated groups will find. And so it kind of depends on the content and how core it is to the story versus core it is to that kind of exploration experience. So yeah, uh, slightly rambling answer. <laughs> Good answer. Uh, no, spe no specific concrete percentage I, I can feed you. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it really depends on how you play the game too. Like if, if you play it like I played it when I first started doing my play test, uh, I was, you know, sprinting through the valley. I was, I was trying to yeah, spend... Yeah, you made some progress. <laughs> yeah, I was just... Because that was my goal. I just was like, I just want to see how far I can get. Because, I mean, I had, you know, designer knowledge, so I knew what was coming. And I was like, well, I got to see what happens if I, you know, try to get as far away from that thing that I know is happening uh, in the valley as possible and then work my way back and what, what that would be like. So um, when I was... The first few sessions that I was playing solo, um, I would effectively get to a location set up the path deck draw a couple cards and then just hammer on through <laughs> just suffer fatigue get through the location and just go so i would just i'd be drawing like maybe two or three cards on the path deck before i uh got out of there um which is pretty atypical um but you can play that way uh so you know if you're playing that way you're going to miss you're going to miss a lot. But you, if you decide to take your time each location, delve into that path deck and really like try to discover everything that's there, like you, you can hang out in one spot and just get through the entire thing. It, it can be challenging, like Fisher was saying. It can get kind of overwhelming if you have too many things on the board at once. Um, but that's the way to play it too. So it's, it's, it's really up to you. Um, I also think it's worth noting that the uh, the valley set, you know, in addition to those landmarks that you go when you go to pivotal locations, uh, the valley set when you go to the non-pivotal locations is, you know, you take three cards from that set, shuffle them into the path deck. Those three cards are random. So there's a, you know, 
a very good chance that there are things that you will just not see if you draw the uh end up drawing the same three random cards out of that set all the time or uh but i think that's kind of that's kind of fun too because there are some things that i saw a lot uh, when i played and there are some things that i just i never saw when i was playing and then there are some things like when fisher and i were playing that we just saw over and over and over again (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it was really fun to have that happen over there because like oh god this thing's like you know stalking us uh so it's oh, that thing was ruthless it was but it was pretty cool like it still created fun moments um where you know you can tell the story about this uh this thing that keeps like popping up over and over again um so yeah no there's uh like fisher saying we, we didn't this isn't something where we like mapped out the uh percentage of uh, what we want to be seen and unseen Um, because it's entirely possible too to you know play through a campaign and not even go to every location on the map Um, i think it's actually kind of hard to go to every location on the map in a single play in a single campaign unless you try it try to do it i think to draw a generalization to give the the question a bit more of a concrete answer i'll say 20 percent. i'm comfortable with assuming you play through a whole campaign i'm comfortable with you missing about 20 percent of the content you know, that kind of 80-20 rule? Yeah. Like, you experience 80% of stuff, 20% remains unseen. Obviously, not everybody is going to 100% their... I mean, 100%, I, I shouldn't say that. That person's going to see more than 80% of the content. But not everybody is going to, like, completely finish the campaign. But for those of you who play through the whole thing and experience the whole story, I expect you'll see about 80% of the content. Mm. Good percentage. Um, Evan, can I talk to Evan for a second? <laughs> I, no, he's in the zone. <laughs> yeah, Evan, I just re- I just remembered the uh, I just remembered the. Oh, I'm on. Sorry. I want to show the uh, the people what you use to draw. Like, what what are you actually drawing on right now, physically in the real world? <laughs> it's oh. hilarious! It's no, amazing. it's um, it's too embarrassing. It's I think it's inspirational. It's like um, I can describe it. I'm I'm. Drawing on a postage stamp, basically. <laughs> well, isn't it the the Wacom um, bamboo tablet? Yeah, and I have worn the nib down to like wow. almost nothing. Oh, wow. Wow, do you um, need new nibs? I got I'm some using, nibs. <laughs> well, this thing might be discontinued. Um, it's tiny, and everyone's laughing at me now. All the artists I work with either work in Procreate on their iPad Pros, or like they have, like what Corey has, um, wow. a Cintiq which is something I do want to get, but I just don't have time. I probably will get one um, maybe early next year. And then you won't I'll like it. And you're you're, you're join so the... accustomed to this little bamboo pad. <laughs> I know I am. I, I am, but I need to, um, I need to get better, improve my, my game <laughs> and, you know, keep up with every, every other artist and not get left behind using yeah. old tech, you know? So, well, I can hardly argue with the results, yeah. Evan, like, when I first visited your house <laughs> and saw what you drew on, I was baffled. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 he says a post this stamp, yeah. but like this, it is a very small Wacom tablet, like, and it is not only is his nib worn, but like the drawing surface is is super polished. Yeah, like polished and like worn near the center. It, that thing is so heavily used, and like <laughs> I'm not even—I have never gotten paid for my drawing in my life. 
and I have a bigger Wacom <laughs> tablet than you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's funny because I even need to have this thing at a certain angle because I, I probably will have to relearn a lot of muscle memory stuff because when I make a vertical or horizontal stroke, I'm probably actually crossing the pad at a slight angle because of the way it's situated on my um on my desk so there's a lot of weird stuff i've just like inured myself mm -hmm. to you know in this workspace so it's it'll be very interesting when i when i upgrade well i mean you can't argue with success mm -hmm. your your art is beautiful yeah and like <laughs> If, if, Thank you. If the post stamp works, you know. Yeah. <laughs> For now, it works until, you know, until the nib just, there's one atom left on the nib and that gets taken away by a breeze. Yeah. I just wanted to say to uh, aspiring artists out there, musicians, you don't need the expensive gear. You really don't. You can make some awesome stuff on the cheapest gear. Yeah. And Evan, very true. this next question, yeah. I think you could answer, help answer. So listen. All right, it, it's okay. uh, from Buffalo7. It says, I've been looking at the cards a lot lately and really admiring the design and how natural they feel. I recently realized that a big reason why they feel that way to me is that it seems that pure white is used very sparingly. It seems like you had a strong visual theme for the art from the get-go, but when did you decide to have such a naturalistic feeling for the cards themselves? And was there a point when you con consciously wanted to reduce the amount of white used? Uh, I'm not sure if that's referring to the art or the graphic design, but um, either way, I, I've i always avoided uh, using pure white, uh, especially in illustration uh, work, because I'm, I'm always thinking of the light source. And to me, a light source is only white if it's in artificial environment, like neon lights or something. Um, I always use slightly off-white yellow or cool colors um, to reflect the environment. Uh, and when it comes to the graphic design, well, Andrew, you've designed some of the cards and um, I just don't think white made it in there. It's just kind of a, it's a, a jarring <laughs> color, yeah. I guess. Black yeah. color. And should be used well, sparingly. The, uh, so. the, the prototype graphic design, which it really, it's a, hasn't evolved a whole lot past that, um, did have pure white, but that was only because I didn't want to take the time to change it. Mm -hmm because so, we're just print, printing them out you know just trying to do it as quickly as possible uh but i think as soon as you did yeah. the pass and just added in some a little bit of texture texture work um got rid of all whatever white was there uh but I, f I, f I feel like my my feeling was especially with the path cards um after you did your pass on the on the path card craft design uh just trying to make it i, I feel like you did have like a very um very intentionally we're trying to make it feel natural yeah cool and um i i'm not a, opposed to using white or black pure white or pure black um but i i think adding a little hue to either of those or the grayscale in between is is always nice especially when it complements the rest mm -hmm. of the palette all right i'm gonna mute you evan and your crickets i feel i hear crickets in the background okay. <laughs> I think it's my cricket. Oh, they're your crickets. crickets. Sure okay, I'm muting yeah. you too. I don't know if you heard the. <laughs> I have a crying baby yeah, in the background. I don't know if you heard the uh, the 
the baby bunny being murdered by one of my cats what? out there. Early. That happened? <laughs> oh, no. Was it loud enough to hear? I could hear it on my monitor, yeah. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a, some, like, I don't know why they keep, the bunnies keep, uh, oh. like, making their home and, and breeding around our house because our cats will just find them and eat them. They're not that smart. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, they're not. They're really they're not. They're so cute. I have a nice they family are cute. of bunnies. And, and obviously, they're delicious I also. guess. Do your cats actually eat them? <laughs> yeah. Wow, well, that's good. They don't just kill for sport. Yeah, at least they... Ruth, ruthless. Yeah, well, it's better... To, so our, we, have, we have three cats. We have two younger cats, and they are not so good about eating what they kill. They'll just kind of play with it until it's dead. Yeah. And just leave it. Uh, but our our older cat, he's he's pretty big, muscular, uh, hunting cat, uh-huh. <laughs> and he'll 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 eat whatever he catches. Uh, and I think that's a little bit better. Good boy, yeah, that was a lot, better, a lot better. Obviously, this is not going yeah. to waste. Well, I think you know a hawk or something will probably come down. A crow, eat the remains from your. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah. Uh, our next question. <laughs> our next question comes from Bao via email, and it is: When can we expect the release of the new TTS demo for Earthborn Rangers Tabletop Simulator? When? When is it? That is an excellent question. <laughs> That's an excellent question. Well, it it actually um, ties in a bit with uh, when we talk about kind of our work and stuff. Uh, it is. One of my priorities coming up here is to figure out our next demo experience as we're kind of wrapping up things on the core set and getting them uh, buttoned down. We're looking at how, what part of the game we kind of want to extract and use as our next demo experience. And so it is something that um, we kind of have on our radar and we plan on creating for you all before uh, the release of the game. But I think, when exactly it comes out will depend on a few different factors. One, just like putting it together and getting it polished. And two, making sure we work with our partners to get localized versions of it so that we can have the demo in all of our available languages at the same time. So we will have one. It will be coming, but we can't tell you exactly when. Yeah, cool. As soon as as soon as we can do it. But you know, as as uh, Fisher mentioned you know, earlier in the show, we are very very focused on just getting the game done uh at this point mm-hmm. so uh, yeah i mean the good thing is is that you know we have a tabletop simulator uh environment that's pretty well set up um so i think when it the work will come in uh you know curating what that experience is and like what we want to make available yeah i would love to make it a bit more polished uh but I might just have to find somebody who's very experienced at making polished TTS experiences and set them loose on it because I, I'm at like my TTS knowledge limit and I feel like my time might be better spent yeah. elsewhere. So if you're a T, if you're a TTS expert and have made like a really polished workshop, uh, feel free to reach out to me. <laughs> yeah. I'm also fine with having a utilitarian uh, TTS demo uh, and then when we do our, you know, final, final for real TTS mod that you, you can purchase, then we can make that one fancy. Mm. That's a good point. It is functional. Yeah. All our playtesters used our current. Yeah, it works. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. 
There's no automation or anything. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it functions. Got to refill those energy tokens by That's hand. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the way dad did it. <laughs> <clears throat> there is cool stuff coming, it sounds like. Coming very soon. Um, and our final question comes from Martin. I like the way this is worded. Martin says, so is there a print and play version of the demo as well? <laughs> uh, that did, did Bao and Martin coordinate their emails? No, these, are, these aren't even podcast questions. They're just questions that came to the uh, info at. Uh, oh, oh so okay. I, I so I thought I'd uh, address them both. Um, yeah, the, uh, so I, you know, in in the larger email, so that little sentence is obviously just an excerpt from a, a larger email extolling the virtues of uh, of print and play demos. Um, but uh, I've been I have been giving that some thought, and I think that um, you know if we're going to go so far as to make a uh, a tabletop simulator demo, I, I don't really see any reason to not make that also available for print and play. Um, I think it'd be pretty easy to put that on our website and uh, allow people to, if they want to, um, instead of playing on TTS, or if you don't have TTS or don't want TTS, uh, then you could print it out at, at home and, and play it. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm leaning very heavily toward doing that. I don't, I don't see a downside personally. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? Yeah, I, I don't do see it. a downside either. I feel like all, I don't have like a ton of extensively researched data, but providing print and play stuff never really, all all the evidence I have seen suggests that providing print and play stuff does not eat into like sales oh, or yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. And like, it just, honestly, it, it only helps people be able mm -hmm. to try out the game. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in favor people of it may personally. Not buy it yeah. at all. So I, I think, uh, oh, so was that? Was oh, that just that people honest? that may not buy the game at all the the demo may inspire them to buy it yeah yeah possibly yeah exactly and, yeah and i think uh yeah that's precisely the point that martin was making in his emails he you know he's excited for the game wants to show it off to some friends hmm. uh so there you go and i think that's a that's a that's awesome and mm -hmm. i really truly appreciate it people who are enthusiastic and want spread to the word everybody share it with their friends that's that's awesome absolutely yeah, that'd yes, be sweet please. they can send a link here print this out play it at home they live across the sea doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, cool. Thanks for all the awesome questions, everybody. Um, let's move on to the work stories. Um, Evan, I think we're seeing right now what he's been up to, right? Yeah. Just, just keep watching his beautiful art. A lot he's, of art. It's almost cruising. done. I mean. It's almost done. Wait, we also distracted him from art for a bit recently. Uh one of the big things we've been working towards here is getting all of our files ready for our partners to start uh, translating into their languages. And part of that is making sure that all the graphics are in place and everything, because while the translators just have to translate the text, they do have to take all our files and duplicate them into their language. And so then after they've made that duplication, you know, if we're doing several other languages, uh, each graphic design tweak we make past that is now like quadrupled because <laughs> we have to make it in all the languages. So we we distracted Evan from from his art for a bit to 
kind of finish up various uh, graphic design tasks and stuff as we were working towards that uh, deadline. Well, uh, Fisher, Andrew, who wants to go first? Talking about your own work, not just and uh, Evans. Oh, working. I can go. I can go first. I guess I'm I'm first. In yeah, the unusual, so unusual. Okay. Yeah, I know. Well, it's because we did that one, you know, last time where it was only me, <laughs> so I had to, to go and repopulate ah, right, everything right. in the show notes. <laughs> go first this time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll go. I'll go first this time. But it, it all it all overlaps anyway. Right. Um, so yeah, we've been uh, working really hard on getting everything done. Our our deadline for getting all of our files to the partners was on Friday, uh, which we missed. <laughs> and um not too much that's not too bad though uh you know we'll make sure that we extend their deadlines accordingly give them you know the extra time that we also took but um we got them almost everything late last night um finished the rule book finally uh so that was exciting uh it was really just waiting on a few so Fisher had done a ton of work to it, and then I just needed to write a couple sections. And then I realized when it was almost done that it was the incorrect size. So <laughs> I needed to resize the entire thing. I swear, I have a distinct memory of us updating that page size like three months ago, so I have no idea why it was yeah, the wrong one. Yeah, it's but... all right. It, 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 oh, well. uh, so I was a little horrified at first, and I tried. InDesign has this function where you can just type in a new page size and it'll you know you just push the button and it'll just like make everything magically go where it's supposed mm -hmm. to go we did that with the campaign guide which was pretty easy because it's just flowed text so it's just columns of text and uh it just resized everything really easily it was really nice so i was in back of my mind i was like okay maybe this will work just as well uh, and I pushed the button and just the entire file just exploded. Hmm. It went from... Yeah, I, was just, I, man I manually laid out that yeah. whole file. So like none of it <laughs> yeah. is automated. It went from uh, <laughs> zero errors, errors to 75 errors. And uh, I was like, ah, no. So I undid all that and then just, just did it all by hand. And uh, I was really honestly like really glad that that happened because um, it gave me time with each spread just looking at it and uh i ended up making uh, a fair number of improvements i think to the layout added a bunch of art um i also had more ideas for writing because i was kind of stuck on on how to do one of the sections and i couldn't be inspired just i couldn't get inspired to write anything for it uh based on how it was originally outlined and i just decided to not do what we what i had originally planned to put there and just do something else and then it worked a lot better so i don't think i would have had would have come to that uh conclusion had i not had taken the time to uh kind of just manually adjust the, every spread uh to the correct paper size so that's mm -hmm. cool so it was really cool to be done with it and i finished the the cover this morning so that's pretty much done just have a couple renders to update once we have the final card images all done and then we'll be all set so that's that's pretty cool Very cool uh and then spent a lot of time on the campaign guide and that's what fisher's been spending a lot of time on since he's been back and i spent a lot of time on while he was gone and that thing is such a beast it's a it's so massive <laughs> uh fisher you described it 
yesterday is just this like endless what what how do you describe it? You just you just keep pouring time into it. I, you just don't know where any of it goes. Yeah, it's like a black like an a time <laughs> black hole. Yeah, like I can I can work on it for hours and hours and hours and then be like, you know, like and, and feel like I'm making lots of progress in the moment and then like I look back and I'm like, uh. what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> this like because it's just this wall of text, right? So it's it's hard to visualize and conceptualize your progress. And so that thing is just, it's this giant time suck because you can get into the minutia of editing little entries and words and phrasings, but also there's this high level stuff of like structure and everything. And that thing, and all of the journal entries interlink, you know, a card calls on one, a timer calls on another, and they link to each other. And then create outputs that have consequences in a future journal entry and it's just it's a lot it's a lot yeah so it's spent a lot of, yeah but it it's is gonna, gonna be, awesome. be pretty awesome um but uh yeah so spend a lot of time on that and then we're gonna be finishing up that finishing that up this this week um so i still have a fair amount of editing and writing to do in that too so uh that'll be the rest of the week for me and then we'll be done we had everything off to uh to the partners and then we'll uh, start thinking about, well, let me start placing art and doing all the other things we need to do that aren't critical for partners. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's plenty to do in the next couple mm -hmm. months, uh, including, uh, you know, laying out the world of earthborn Rangers, uh, Lauren art book, which, oh. um, will probably be no small task on its own. So, uh, lots of, lots of work. To oh, do. I can, <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. That. That's, uh, I've laid out, I, I should probably know the exact number, but I think it's thousands of pages of RPGs <laughs> at this point. If I can do one thing, it's layout yeah, text yeah. and art. Yeah, all right, That's, cool, uh, man. All right. Yeah, Sweet. I'm pretty well, fast then, at uh, it. Thank you for nominating yourself <laughs> to do that. <laughs> That's um, like a Kickstarter. Yeah, I also reward. wanted to... Uh, the, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an add-on. Okay. It's an cool. add-on. Cool. Art book. You, we'll, we'll get you a copy of the art book. Hell right? yeah. It's not in the contract, but... To, it's not, Verbal but agreement. we'll get one for okay. you anyway. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, your art will be nice and big in there. It's going to be a half half page. The way I have it laid out is all the all those the beings and the features that we have in the um, that we have entries mm. for in the art and lore book will be a big half page. It's going to have every every card so. every. Not everyone, no. It'll have uh, it has it has a lot of the terrain sets so like all the terrain set animals and yeah. plants um the highlights of those will be uh featured in the lore book and then we'll have you know individual locations the pivotal locations we'll mm. talk about those places um so you won't find a lot of ranger card art in there um there'll, there'll be some but it'll be mostly mm. locations and beings and features uh, it's going to be the, the most of it. And then we'll have some, uh, a few pages dedicated to, you know, concept art and that process. That's so, things like that. so cool. Excited about that. Yeah. It's going to look really nice in the end. Um, so I wanted to give like a, a very short, uh, North American manufacturing update. Uh, it's not great. Let's <laughs> 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 put it out there. Is that great? We chased down some leads. Uh, they didn't necessarily lead nowhere, but most of what we've found has been uh, more future planning 
let's just put it that way. Like it's not possible to do in any reasonable amount of time, but given longer period of time, we can make it happen. So while it might not work out for this first print run, um, we are at least making inroads to um, make it more possible uh, down the road, which is, which is cool. So like I've been saying from the beginning, you know, my goal is to find someone who is a partner really, who's like really interested in helping us make this a reality and, and being there with us and shares in the vision. And um, in doing this, I think that we've had some promising leads that we might actually be able to find someone who fits that bill, uh, but doing it in any kind of reasonable amount of time uh, right now is really, is really challenging um, in North America in particular. So uh, we have one last kind of gasp effort that uh, there were meetings happening at Gen Con, which was this past weekend uh, where uh, the consulting firm that I've been using, who's been, you know, talking to some manufacturers on our behalf had meetings at Gen Con with people and uh, was trying to get some good solid answers on our like compromised solution. Uh, so I have a meeting with them on Friday. So I'm hoping to hear some good news or at least um, if we don't necessarily get good news on North American manufacturing, at least we will, that will be the, the end of the discussion for now. And we'll be able to decide one way or the other, if we're going to, do any of that here or if it's all going to be in Europe. So that is where that is standing. Uh, more exciting though, is that we officially now have uh, a French language partner on board. Ayo. Yay. Hey. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So we'll be working with a, a Belgian company called Interfen. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they're really excited about the project. Uh, we've been talking with them for months. I, I want to say it's been at least five or six months since they've originally, like they ex first expressed interest. So, uh, they find, they, uh, signed, uh, they got on board, uh, just, uh, about a week and a half ago. So, uh, so that's really exciting. So the goal is to get them, you know, obviously on board for the, uh, the first print run, uh, they feel like they can do it, um, which is, uh, amazing uh if they can get it all done in the next couple months which is the which is the plan so uh so that's really cool so you know what that means uh for our french backers uh is uh unfortunately you know since you know we're signing a deal with them they're purchasing a you know a number of uh copies from us uh we can't um uh like undercut their sales by offering copies of the game, uh, in French, uh, unfortunately, but, um, pretty, pretty exciting to have uh, French language edition mm -hmm. out there. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's cool to have a partner who really believes in what we're doing and, um, uh, really believes in the, in the mission. So that's, that's pretty great. So great. And, uh, that's, that's awesome. all I've got. We have a uh, breaking news here. Uh, Evan would like to have a, is, is this like a live art direction session? About Creasy, Kesey, Kesey's favorite snack. Is that the piece? 
Quizzy, Quizzy. is it the piece you're working on right now? Quizzy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Evan. You're going to have to unmute What's him, up? though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I asked that question. It was like, oh, wait, we're streaming. No, this, this is, is cool. really dumb. <laughs> if you want to uh, talk about. Um, so well, we talked about what this snack actually is yeah. made of in a meeting several weeks ago. And I can't remember, but it's like, I think we arrived at some decision, but I, I, I don't remember. You, so I'm just laying those down. Those of you listening, uh, Evan is of... working on a piece that's a close up of a hand holding these three balls of food. I assume it's a snack. Yeah. They look kind of yeah. like, uh, you know, like those, those energy, those energy balls. Have you ever gotten those? You know, what? do you guys know what? Pem- have you guys heard of pemmican? Like, no, they're, like, they're kind of they're kind of chocolatey. Oh yeah, they're really good. Oh, like high high density carb yeah, food yeah, or yeah. something. For hiking and stuff. They, that's what they kind of remind me. That's what uh-huh. they kind of remind me of. They also kind of look a little bit like you know b- chocolate bonbons <laughs> right now. I was I, I seem to recall the. Um, the red that I'm painting right now is was maybe some sort of maple yeah. or something. I don't know. I can't remember, but I figured it. I'd just start laying down. Yeah, I think, you know, as long as they look delicious, I think it's really all we're really going okay. for. Well, I was thinking yeah, that this, this. I don't think. Oh, oh go ahead. I, I was just going to say this. The red thing I was, the red part of it, I was imagining as like a glazed had it would have a glazed look so it'd be more reflective mm. or something yeah you know gummy looking I, I i don't think aura mentions uh the the food she feeds quizzy so okay. I, I think you're you're, you're somewhat free what is to uh, let your imagination run <laughs> run wild on this one well uh, quizzy is a character she's actually for people who played the demo um, she is the character I believe you save in our original de- our Kickstarter demo of the game, and she is a, a reoccurring character in the game who can show up uh, if you're in my play session all the time and steal your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's just like a, a precocious, uh, adventuring uh, little girl who's like out in the valley uh, exploring all the time, and her mother is constantly mm. looking for her. Uh, so, and she's either endearing or annoying, depending on your <laughs> right. perspective. She's pretty great. She can also squash bugs for you, which is pretty fun. <laughs> Evan, when I saw those balls, I was reminded of this stuff that I learned about when I was a teacher's assistant in seventh grade, learning about the voyageurs. And their favorite snack was called pemmican. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Pemmican? yeah <laughs> I was wondering like if you're going to say pemmican and dried meat <laughs> and dried berries. I. I dropped. <laughs> Ooh, I dropped tasty. a picture of it in the Discord. And it kind of <laughs> looks just like what you're making. So, yeah, we had a card oh. that was pemmican. There it is. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> yeah, wow. cherry, cherry moss pemmican was something that we, that Sam had written at one point mm. for something. Not these balls, though. And I had to look up pemmican for that very reason. I, I hadn't either before. before that class. Yeah. The berries and meat sound jarring at first, um, but actually Sam made some pemmican uh, for us mm. a while back. I was really skeptical when she made it, but it, 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 it's yeah, pretty you get decent. get hungry enough uh, to eat anything. Yeah. Jerky and berries. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like, you know, like you, you sometimes pair uh, like 
kind of denser fruits with with meat you know you can yeah. have like cherry on meat or like you know you do citrus with chicken oh, yeah, that sounds and, great to me so like it, it works it works andrew what are you working on <laughs> oh yeah well i mean andrew oh, yeah. uh, other andrew already hit on quite a bit of like what i've been doing so obviously i was in tanzania uh which you know wasn't a great time tripped but because of visiting because of the opportunity I had to visit Sam at her archaeological site, it was basically the only time it could happen. Um, but because of that, I haven't been, you know, it, I was gone for a bit. And then I did do some work on the plane. And as I got back last week and kind of barreling into this deadline, uh, you know, we, we got everything to the partners yesterday. So besides the last work, we need to do the campaign guide. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, it was a bit of a whirlwind coming right back from the trip and barreling right into work. But I, I think we, uh, for the most part, got things in. So that, that was good. Um, so yeah, so that was it for me for this last week. But coming up here, I'm pivoting to, uh, we've got some more work to do on the campaign guide uh, and uh, uh, other stuff to do on the core set besides what we've already done. But beyond that, um, I'm pivoting over to helping out with expansion content, and we're kind of moving forward on our first, the first campaign expansion, and then also looking forward, as I mentioned earlier, to the demo. I'm going to need to kind of figure out how we want to break off the content and kind of create our demo experience and what we want to share versus keep uh, spoiler-free. So I'm going to kind of create that cordon off that curated experience for our um, upcoming demo. So that's the stuff I have coming up. But otherwise, I think we've covered awesome. most of what I've been working on. Sounds like you guys are busy at work. Did we decide on Evan's uh, question? Was his question for us answered about the the balls? <laughs> I feel like I cut us off. <laughs> I think I think it was a satisfactory answer. It was decided? Delicious. Doesn't matter yeah. what they are. Make, make, make they look <laughs> good. <laughs> all right so then we're gonna it's move a pretty into... good card too <clears throat> yeah it's a cool card you've done you've accomplished so much in this time it's like went from just line drawing to pretty much blocking in all the colors there um all right let's move on to stuff we're into i uh i haven't been really that obsessed with anything personally i did however play this game called killer queen it's an arcade game. Has anybody heard of it or played it? Yeah, Fisher, yeah. you like it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I Yeah, I, I've actually played it on a cabinet at... Um, that's uh, right. Crap. That's where I played Up, it. Up, down. Um, yep, that's the place. Is that a four-player player game? It, it's a, for those of you not in Minnesota, it's a arcade bar here in, in mm. Uptown. It's a chain. I think there's, uh, there's a few in the Twin Cities. other up downs across the country maybe oh um, are there yeah okay. it's, a, it's a multiplayer game you play as these little bear bee creatures uh five versus five there's two big screens kind of head to head mm -hmm. it's very fun you're all squished up against the your your uh controls and uh i loved it i loved it it's a little intimidating it feels like a sport Everyone else playing seemed to have a lot better grasp on it. So it's a bit intimidating, but it's super fun in person. 
uh, game. I don't really know what more to say about it. Um, check it out if you can. It's I think it's it's just an indie game. So there's not many of these cabinets around the country. There's also a, 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 a Steam version of it. Um, yeah, they made a Steam version, but the the charm is really in the arcade presentation, and it's also a very modern arcade. So playing a physical version of it with, with of with it friends sure. is, yeah. is is really awesome. Be there, be with people, talk, laugh. Yeah. And it is a, a huge component of the game is verbal communication with your teammates because you're constantly changing your strategy. There's three three ways you can win. So you know if one's not going well, you got to shift shift gears instantly. And you need to talk to be able to do that. Um, it is. It sounds awesome. Andrew, I'm sorry. You're, you're cutting out a little bit again. Um, hopefully it gets Oh, jeez. I know. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep moving ahead. I'll tell you about the other thing I like, which is the rehearsal on HBO. Anybody watch that show? It's uh, from Nathan Fielder, no. who did Nathan no. for You. On Comedy Central. Oh, yes. isn't that that very that, that show's yeah. like super awkward, right? <laughs> but the <laughs> yeah, yeah, he takes it to the next. It's the rehearsal sure. too. There's uh, four episodes out so far, and it just each oh, one no. is more brilliant than the last. It goes to some very strange places. The premise of the show, uh, the basic premise is that it's kind of structured like a reality show where he recreates these situations for people who are, let's say nervous about confronting a friend about a lie they've been uh, telling them or something. So Nathan will come in and like recreate an entire bar, like down to, to the glasses. Like it's crazy. The, the details he puts into recreating these environments. Then he gets actors to pretend to be the other people. And it's just super bizarre. And it goes off the rails in so many weird directions. Highly recommend the rehearsal. <laughs> Check that out. If you, if you didn't like Nathan for you, you're not going to like this. But I think it's a hilarious show and also just genius. I'm the kind of person who flees the room when things get too awkward on the television. So I'm not sure if I could handle it. <laughs> yeah, I don't get, I guess I kind of get that and I kind of don't get it. Just, just remember that it's not happening to you. It's just someone else. It already happened. Ooh, doesn't, doesn't matter. doesn't matter. <laughs> I have heard that there have been studies that have shown that your brain can't actually comprehend the difference between something that you watch on a screen mm. and something that is actually happening to you right, kind of in the right. same way that like when you uh, recall an event or you have a memory and you focus on it, yeah. your brain doesn't know the difference between whether it happening to you in that moment or, uh, uh, or, or, or you just remembering it. So that's why right. it's so detrimental to you to focus on like negative things, focus on like, terrible memories like people experience trauma you know you just right keep reliving those moments like you're, it's like you're just doing it over and over again so like i could totally understand fisher's desire to leave the room when mm -hmm. cringe humor becomes too much because i feel that same way too like mm. when i'm watching cringy like real uncomfortable humor you could just yeah. feel it kind of twisting up inside of your body like <laughs> it is actually happening to, to me 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very maybe I'm just more. Maybe I'm just more uh, okay with uncomfortable situations. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe it's possible. <laughs> I just laugh. I just laugh. <laughs> no, I, I, I envy that. I could, I could use more of that. You know, just being okay with it. Right. I think I've, <laughs> I think I've got it. But I do tell myself, I'm like, okay, this is, it's okay. This is just a TV show. Yeah, it'll be fine. Um, but yeah, I, I get that. I get I get a little uncomfortable at times with stuff on TV. It's also that what you're saying, though, Andrew, reminds me of how like watching sitcoms can make you feel less alone because you feel like those are your friends. Yeah, I've mm-hmm. heard. I've heard for lonely or listening lonely to folks. podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> we're your friend. We're your friend, guys. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, who else has something fun to talk about? Yeah, I moved myself up so that we could, you know, in the show on a showstopper with with Fisher talking about Tanzania. So <laughs> talking with yes. all right, cool. Yeah, so uh, so I've uh, we're we're continuing our Kingdom Death Monster campaign. My friends and I we uh, just played our third session last night, and so far. I think it's going way better than it did the first time through. I, I'm sure we're gonna all gonna get m- mutilated in a couple of sessions when the butcher shows up. But uh, so far, man, we got that that white lion on lock. <laughs> Just hunting white lions. Sounds um, amazing. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, I've also uh, been poking around with oh, that's a Fallout New Vegas. It's past couple weeks yeah uh i've i've poked at that game several times since i played it the first time you know like 10 years ago whenever it came out uh but this latest time it kind of uh it kind of captured me again i think maybe enough time has passed where i've kind of forgotten everything that happens um or it just struck me in the right way uh hmm. yeah, oh yeah that game is yeah, great but have, it was have a long you played time it, ago at this point yeah it's uh I played one of the early locations that you can find the uh, this like this Repcon rocket facility, and it's a really great microcosm of how they do the quest designs in that game, where there's all sorts of different options based on how you encounter the different components of the quest. Like you could find uh, the kind of the antagonist of that facility. You can find them first, and they give you a different quest, and it kind of recontextualizes the entire thing. Versus if you find the, you know, the good guys of that quest first, and then they tell you to go and you know get rid of the antagonists. Uh, and there's uh, there's also and it just and it leads to new like more stuff, and then like leads to this like additional stories, and uh, it just reminded me of how cool the writing was in that game, and how cool the the quest design is in it. Um, it's my favorite follow game. Yeah, their uh, kind of non-linear approach to quest design of making sure that you can just approach it from any angle you want is uh, pretty unprecedented. Like, I think that was the peak of Obsidian was when Obsidian was kind of doing this where they often picked up from other studios, mainly Bioware, and then kind of applied their more freeform experimental RPG and nonlinear story design to these established RPG systems. Like, it's just excellent. They've obviously done good work since then, but I feel like as they started getting distracted with, like, actually delivering a whole product, 
they couldn't focus as much attention on that storytelling stuff. And so you, you don't get the like, just amazing innovative approach that you got with games like new Vegas, where a lot of the work was already done. So they could just focus on the storytelling. Yeah. And I don't know how much turnover turnover they've had as, as far as like their writers and their creative teams. Like, I don't, I don't know if the people who were at obsidian, you know, 10 years ago are still the people yeah. who are there. I have, I have no clue. Um, but thankfully fallout new Vegas exists and you can play it. Because mm. uh, it's on Xbox awesome. Game Pass. Uh, yeah, totally, and it probably runs really well. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm playing it on my 360. <laughs> you, so. you still have an operational nice. 360 <laughs> sitting <fun>. around. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, man. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sebastian was playing Beyond Uh-oh. Good and Evil on it just tonight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Got to keep those things alive. Um, this past weekend, this Saturday, uh, we went to go see uh, Gabriel Iglesias, mm. the comedian. Uh, I don't know him. If fluffy? you guys are familiar with him at all. I'm uh, not. You know, fluffy, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we went to Treasure Island, which is a, uh, which is a casino out here. Um, <laughs> and he was, he was uh, playing outside. And it was raining. <laughs> on saturday so sat through some drizzle it wasn't too terrible uh but man i haven't been to see a, a comedian in forever uh i think i've went been to like a comedy club like once uh in my entire life so mm. seeing seeing stand-up and then seeing stand-up uh at this big like outdoor venue with so many people i had no idea he was so popular mm. uh it was really fun. Uh, it was uh, it was pretty cool. He's he's a he's I think a really entertaining comedian. He's a f- phenomenal storyteller. He does great voices and sound effects, and uh, <laughs> he's just so demonstrative and fun. And cool. Yeah, it was it was a really good time. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about is uh, you know because you know I'm I'm in I'm into changing the way people in our industry do products, mm-hmm. and I was at target uh the other day hunting for pokemon with sam yeah um (laughs) but we went to the game section and i saw that uh the robinsberger games on the shelf there at target did not have shrink wrap which i thought was awesome so i wanted to give some props to robinsberger for ditching shrink shrink wrap how do Um, they hold the game that's pretty awesome how do they hold the box together what do they tape it's a it's a little sticker instead okay that's great so yeah this little so it's 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 still plastic but you know it's far less plastic um and those those boxes are definitely not recyclable as is because they have a a pretty sturdy uh finish on them um but i thought it was uh it's pretty awesome like there was the they were the only kind of big name publisher uh, games on those shelves that were not in shrink wrap so i thought that was that was pretty great so good job robinsberger good job yeah <laughs> proud of, proud of you <laughs> man they're listening right now and just feeling so good about themselves <laughs> all right andrew the moment you've all been waiting for the climb to top the top yeah Mount so obviously I, I i did you yeah, survive uh Nope, I'm dead <laughs> on the top of Kilimanjaro. <laughs> no, yeah, so uh, 
spent a couple weeks in Tanzania and it was, uh, it was really awesome. Traveling wasn't awesome. I had a lot of trouble, uh, in the air, in the airports. I, on the, on the way out the night before I left, my power went out all night. A person lost control of their car and crashed through my back fence into my backyard. This is the night I was going to leave. Uh, I know, yeah. I, I have a picture of a full sedan sitting in the middle of my backyard. Uh, and my, pow- my power was out unrelated. <laughs> and then, like, on the way back, my flight was delayed, and they lost my bag. And, like, so travel was awful. And I've heard that the airlines mm. are really struggling with number of employees and stuff. So it, apparently this is a shared experience with a lot of people. So if you have also... Tr- a lot of people have sedans okay, crashing part, through their backyards the, 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 before the, their flights. The delayed flight okay. part. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 but yeah, anyway, so, so some of the stuff surrounding the trip was yeah. a lot. But <laughs> the trip itself was, was really good. Um, so, uh, yeah, as we mentioned, I went out to Tanzania. Um, my uh, wife, Sam, is an archaeologist, and she is working at a site uh, out in kind of western Tanzania out there. And so she's worked at it a bit uh, pre-pandemic, and then they took a couple years off, and this is their kind of first year back working at the site since uh, the pandemic. And um, so she goes out for a month or two every year. And, you know, it's a long time to be away. Uh, And so this year... I kind of had the opportunity to be able to go out and actually visit her at her site, see her while she's gone for like two months. Uh, and then while I was out there, I did a couple other things. So, so yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I started the trip by driving out there. I did land in like over by Kilimanjaro. So out in the East and I drove across the country for like five hours to get to Sam's site. Uh, she's out past Babadi for those of you who know Tanzanian geography. Uh, I drove with just a driver we found uh, through the site director. Uh, he was actually really cool. He like we stopped at a couple markets and stuff, and um, it was really kind of nice driving across the country for five hours. It's a very different culture than here, and having somebody to kind of like show you the ropes and like go to places that a lot of other tourists aren't necessarily going. Um, as we drove out to uh, way past like where like a lot of the tourists go to like out to the Serengeti. So we were kind of past that area, and so it was kind of cool to be able to experience the culture a little bit outside of the touristy zones. Um, and then I, once I got to Babadi, we took a off-road vehicle out to the archaeological site, which was pretty wild. Like, we're in this car, like, bucking all over the place. We, uh, it's kind of slightly in the middle of nowhere, um, it just near this small village that they work with the locals there and, like, employ a bunch of them at the site. Their archaeological site is pretty cool, like... Archaeology in Africa especially has uh, not a great rap, especially from, like, the last century. Uh, A lot of, like, British people rolling in, digging stuff up and leaving. (laughs) Um, And so her site is trying to change that. They're working really closely with the government and with local professors and local students um, to make sure they're doing it, like, with... Tanzania and bringing like their resources and money from these American uh, universities out to Tanzania to kind of help support and train them. Uh, so, and they're working with the local villagers to kind of staff the site and they're building a school there in the village as well. And, and so it's pretty cool. Um, so I got to hang out at the, the site for a couple days. 
witness some archaeological excavation, uh, which which was pretty cool. It was mostly just me sitting there reading a book while they uh, they all did science. Uh, so it was actually kind of relaxing, uh -huh. but but pretty cool. <laughs> and I I got to like attend a um, uh, meeting of the village, like uh, we we went out to like the village center and, and like they, they had a village meeting and uh, introduced us to everybody, which was very cool. It was all in Swahili. So I had to, I had to get kind of a translation of what was going on, but uh, it, it was, it was a really neat experience. And even though we were sitting out in the dirt uh, under this big tree, like doing this meeting, it otherwise really resembled like a town hall meeting from parks and rec, you know, with just people, pointlessly bickering about like <laughs> infrastructure issues <laughs> so you know even though the setting was very different it was basically the same thing wow <laughs> um anyway so so that was a really good experience and then after that i uh went drove back out to the east of tanzania and climbed kilimanjaro uh which was which was a very cool experience i went with a a group you actually, in Tanzania, you have to go with a guide and porters. Uh, it's required by law. You're not allowed to like enter the the park around the mountain unless you're with a guide. Uh, it's partially to make sure that stupid tourists don't tear up the mountain or get themselves injured, but also just to bring money to the local economy as well. Um, so I went with a group. Originally, I was going to go. I was just talking to a guide, but I, I kind of thought, you know, it was just me and like three Tanzanian guys. It would be a little like awkward by day six or whatever. So I ended up finding a, a tour group where you could like sign up for a time slot and basically you and several other people would all go together. So I'd be able to kind of like have other people to, to chat with just beyond like our guides. Um, so I ended up in a group of 14 people, including myself. Um, and it was uh, it was really good. It, they were almost all solo travelers. A couple couples. There was like a pair of brothers and a, a pair of newlyweds on their honeymoon to Kilimanjaro, apparently. Uh, and the group really made the trip because we all got along really well and were very like supportive and social. And it was it was really fun. Um, so I did a six day trek up the mountain. Usually the shortest you can do it in like as somebody from outside is five days. Uh, theoretically, the world record, I think, is six hours up and down. Uh, but I don't know how that's even physically possible. Uh, <laughs> what? Yeah. He, like... What? He, Running? He, he, he apparently... Uh, no. You're driving? He, he apparently just sprinted up and sprinted down again. So, so the mountain's, like, wow. kind of a big oval. So there's actually, like... There's kind of the short side that you can just go up and down... But like somebody like me, if I went up, would the altitude would probably kill me. Um, so instead, you do this six-day trek where you go along the long side and you do a nice hike, and you kind of go up high during the day, and then you hike down at night to sleep, and that kind of helps you acclimatize and gets your body used to the altitude, so that you're prepared to go up to uh, 19,300 feet on the final day, well, the second to final day. So uh, I went along this newer route called Lamosho, which is over on the west, uh, and did a six-day trek. I was actually with a seven-day group, but the first day I just did their first two days at once to catch up with them. And then uh, um, 
Yeah, it, it went pretty well. I was, for acclimatization and stuff, I was on a drug called Diamox. It's pretty highly recommended if you're not acclimatized to high altitude. It's like a diuretic that kind of helps you absorb the oxygen. Uh, all but one of us were on Diamox, and it really helped. The, the person who wasn't did really feel it the day we went up. Um, so we, we hiked for a few days, and then uh, day five, night of day four, morning of day five, we, we go to bed at like 3 p.m. We get done hiking, and then you try to sleep, and you wake up at 11 p.m. to start the climb. So 11 p.m., we ate some dinner slash breakfast, and then midnight, we start the climb up the mountain. Because you, it takes about, from base camp, it takes about, well, we took about six and a half hours to get to the summit. You can theoretically, I think, uh, to be a little cocky, I think I, prob I probably could have done it in about like four hours, is my guess. Um, I, <laughs> I do a decent amount of hiking. I, I think I could, like, I... I, I was definitely, I was worried I was going to be underprepared, and I think I was a little overprepared. I definitely could, like, I was still not as winded as some of the people we were with. Um, but anyway, so you start at midnight, you hike up, so you get there kind of in the morning as the sun is rising. The weather gets more unpredictable throughout the day, so you want to get up early on top, because then you also have to come down. And then you don't want to sleep at base camp altitude. Uh, because it's still pretty high up. So after you get back down to base camp, you actually hike even further down to sleep for the night. So that's part of the reason you start so early. The summit night was pretty rough. It, You're just like hiking up, right? And it's pitch black. You all have your headlamps on. And it's getting colder and colder as you get higher. And I think we got down to, I don't remember what it is in Fahrenheit, but like minus 27 Celsius, I think. Um, so it's below zero Fahrenheit. Uh, it was, we were just, we were looking at that horizon, waiting for the sun to rise because like, it was just getting colder and colder as we went up. And it was like, we were just putting on layers and layers and we were running out like, you know, it, there's only so much you can put on. And, uh, but once mm -hmm. the sun comes up, you're at such high altitude, it really cooks you. So like that kind of saved mm -hmm. us from the cold. Uh, but when you're up there, like everything, the altitude, you're like walking at like, you know those people in, in malls where they're like, they're walking really slow and you really want to go around them? That's your speed at all mm -hmm. times or you get winded up at the top of the mountain and you, your, your shoes <laughs> feel like they weigh like five times as much as normal. And uh, wow. yeah, but for how, how much of the hike did you, did you have that, that, that sensation? Like the last oh, hour? Yeah, how much? Well, so you get, the higher in altitude you get, the harder and harder it gets. So our first acclimatization hike, um, uh, a couple days in, you could kind of feel that sensation a bit where it's like kind of hard to breathe. Um, but then you kind of get used to that. So then you actually base camp later at that same height you acclimatized to. And, you know, you can't run. Nobody's sprinting anywhere. Like, if, if you run for even a second, you, you're completely out of breath. But you can, like, you can operate. Um, it, and so on the actual summit day, it wasn't until like the last couple hours that it really got like, you know, tunnel vision, just focus forward. So the last like, you know, let, let's call it like thousand feet were probably the, 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 the really rough part.
Um, but overall, I mostly dodged like altitude sickness stuff. I between the diamox and just like all of the prep I've done from all the hiking and everything, I got like a little bit of a pinch of a headache, but nothing too bad. Okay. <laughs> oh, we, oh, we lost Andrew. Andrew. We've been having some troubles. Oh. Okay, he's back. I'm back. My thing stopped recording again. That's all right. right. I wasn't okay, talking, cool, so cool. Um, so yeah, so uh, yep, then we, we summited. It was beautiful. Um, I actually stayed up there for a couple hours and went and saw glaciers and stuff. And then um, we came down and you actually hike even further down so you're not sleeping at like base camp altitude. And uh, uh, and yeah, and then you head out. And then you, you, you can go down the short side of the mountain because going down is fine, right? It's only going up that you want to take your time on. So we mm -hmm. go up the long side of the mountain and then we go down the short side of the mountain and go stay at a resort and have a warm shower. It was nice. <laughs> Ooh. Must have felt so good. Man, have, that, have sounds, that sounds amazing. Have you seen Rocky yes, I have. Fisher? <laughs> I was picturing your training at, uh, similar to Drago. <laughs> um, when they had that montage where so Rocky is training in the in the cabin. In yeah, the, he, he's in the, the like training in the, the rough military. American wilderness, and then yeah. Drago is... Yeah. Well, actually, it was in oh, Russia. Right, He's yeah. training in Russia. Like, in, <laughs> that's all they gave him was a little shack. But then Drago was training with like an oxygen mask on an elevated treadmill, and he's sprinting, and that's what you were doing. And then he showed up, and you were, you overtrained, and it was just a breeze. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a breeze, but I definitely <laughs> like you know it, it's not like I I wouldn't call the experience a breeze, but because I was with a larger group of people. You know, I, I wasn't faster than the bear, but I was faster than my friend to use that. Uh, like, you know, so, some of the people I was with hadn't done as much hiking as I had. So, like, we were just going at a pace that was pretty comfortable with for me. Mm -hmm. cool. Did the training with the books? In the <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I, I assume so. That's yeah. I yeah. forget if I mentioned on the podcast, but I filled my backpack with books to like do training hikes with like a ton of weight on my back it's heavy too yeah, yeah it was a lot thing up <laughs> yeah. joking around it's a lot of books in that but it's backpack. funny because i don't you don't actually carry that much up the mountain um because a lot of your gear is carried by porters while you're actually doing the hike which is another thing that threw me because like i'm all my other hikes i carry all my own gear and like a lot of times I was like, I want to carry my gear. Can I carry my gear? And they get mad at you. They're like, no, 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 I'm carrying it. <laughs> <laughs> I think they, you know, because any tourist can sign up to try to climb Kilimanjaro. And so, you know, they have no idea where you're at physically. And so they want to be really careful. Like the guides, they do medical checks. They check our blood ox every morning, every night. All the guides carry oxygen. Like, and so all of the guides and porters are very conscious and like wanting to keep you from endangering yourself as much as possible um yeah and like it's understandable it, it takes a toll we were we were eating a ton like a ton of food like painfully full at every meal and one of the guys on the trip lost 10 pounds still like it's yeah so it's like wow. it really puts your body through the ringer so it's understandable that like the guides and porters are very insistent that you take it as easy as possible. Yeah. 
So after all that high altitude hiking, when you came back and you ran on the treadmill, did you find that it was way easier? <laughs> your your hemoglobin was absorbing oxygen I, more? Well, so it's kind of hard to tell because I have what, uh, I don't know if this is an actual term, but our group called it the killy cough. Uh, it's very dusty up there and very dry. And so lots of people got bloody noses and like um, we all developed this cough and we think it was due to like we inhaled so much dust. Like everybody was, a lot of people were wearing like gaiters and stuff over their mouths just to like filter some. But we inhaled so much dust that like we all had this kind of cough when we got off the mountain. Um, and I still feel it like when I run, if I try to take a really deep breath, I can feel like where all that dryness and dust was. So any gain I got from yeah. the altitude was probably cut into by the killy cough. <laughs> Yeah, that's was that kind of fast, like in snuff, not fun to be coughing and have dust in your lungs, but you got a little Kilimanjaro. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, a little yeah. in, in, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is an epic story, Fisher. Is is there more? Is there more you wanted to add? No, that's about it. Like I said, my <laughs> flight home was uh, frustrating, so I won't end on that. Uh, oh, overall, yeah. like it was a pretty amazing experience. I definitely wouldn't like do it again. I like mm -hmm. I, I do plan on climbing more mountains, but I will likely do other ones and like you know find new experiences. But like to people who that type of challenge interests you, I think it was an amazing experience. Tanzania is beautiful. And Kilimanjaro is a really nice intro mountain because it's, I, the, the Discord was laughing about some quote, like about it being a small hill or something, but mm -hmm. yeah. slightly <laughs> taken out of context. What, what I was trying to say is it's not a non-technical climb. You're not using ice picks or climbing gear at all. You're just hiking, basically. There's a little bit of scrambling one day, but mm -hmm. otherwise it's just a hike and it's just a fit test, test of your physical ability. So if climbing mountains interests you, but you kind of want something that's a, like a low barrier to entry, at least technical skill wise, it's a great place to start. So I would recommend it to people, but it is a uh, solid type two fun, type two, type one fun being the kind of thing that's fun in the moment and type two fun being the thing that's kind of miserable in the moment, but you're really glad you did it afterwards. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. just be mentally prepared <laughs> for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's the show, everybody. That's all the time we have. Um, the producers are shouting in my earpiece right now. Um, we're over time. Uh <laughs> yeah, thank you for humoring my Tanzania story on this oh, it's, probably extra it long great. episode. <laughs> it's fantastic. Fantastic, guys. Okay, well, that's the show. Everybody, keep reaching out to us with your questions. And thanks for listening and watching uh, week after week. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.